Hey, it's Pastor Nick from Grace River Church, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope you find today's message encouraging and transformative in your life. We'd love for you to join us online each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. by visiting graceriverva.com slash live. Now, enjoy the message. All righty. Good morning. Good morning. Can you hear me all right this morning? Not acting like it. That's all right. Hey, it's good to see you this morning. Uh, like we've already shared, yesterday we had our, our flow class, um, which traditionally was our new member class. We have just been through so much with COVID, so much change in the church and our culture and our community that we just invited everyone to join us. We had an amazing crowd. Uh, we had just shy of 40 adults participate in flow. Uh, it was so exciting, just so much joy just to be together. Uh, and if, if you were uh, one of the 15 of our new members here at Grace River Church, I know that some of you have been with us for a while, just because it's been a while since we've had flow, but we've made it official. Now, if you were one of those 15, would you just raise your hand? I know some of them are away this morning. Just give them a, a round of praise. Amen. Grace River is, is growing. God is doing amazing things. Uh, and as we'll talk about later, there's just a spirit of, of excitement, of joy, of awe. Uh, we, we, the leadership, we were just talking about how just exciting it is to be a part of Grace River right now. It's a beautiful season. So thank you for being here. If you don't know me, I'm Pastor Nick. Um, I don't know why I felt the need to say that. I just know there's a few new faces in the crowd, but I think you all know me by now. Pastor John and his wife are away traveling, uh, visiting family for a birthday of one of their grandchildren, so we just want to pray for them as they're away. But thank you for being here. Uh, I've noticed we're a little quiet this morning. Um, that's all right, but I don't mind if you want to you know, talk back, okay? If you want to get a little excited, if you want to say amen, that's all right, okay? Sound good? deal? Well, church, we've been in the book of Acts, and, and we're only in chapter 2, but we're finishing it out this evening, this evening, this morning. We are going to be here until 10 o'clock tonight. I hope you're all right with that. No, we're, we're finishing it out this morning with just the last part of Acts chapter 2. And I just wanted to ask, you've ever noticed this thing called the bandwagon effect? You ever realize that? I see it a lot in, uh, in like fashion, you can go online and, and after church, look this up. They sell jeans now that have grass stains already in them. Now, I know you can buy jeans that already have holes in them. That's, that's been a thing for a while. But I guess people are just, they like the look of the guy who's out working in the yard, comes in with grass stains. And, and now Gucci sells some Gucci jeans that have grass stains in them. Um, or, or if you're a Cowboys fan, obviously you're on the bandwagon, right? Nobody just likes the Cowboys. Um, maybe the music you listen to. And it's just popular, and so you've, you've joined in. Uh, or even in elections, there are studies that show the, the person running for a place of office, whoever the media projects as winning, that's who people vote for, just because they don't want to vote for the person who's going to lose, right? I, I hope we have more values than that here at Grace River. But this bandwagon effect is a real thing. Think about uh, diet culture. You know, everybody's on the new diet fad, and that's just what you do, right? Or maybe they rename it, like it used to be the Atkins diet, now it's just called keto, right? Because that's, that's cooler. So everybody's on the keto diet now, right? Or even churches. You know, we're so attracted to the cool church. It has the fog machines and the lights and the loud band that's really good. And we have a really good band here too, I, I think. Love you guys. Uh, yes. But there will never be a fog machine here unless the Lord calls it, all right? You see, just because something is attractive... Just because something is, is good doesn't need, mean we need to be involved with it. But when something is attractive and something is good, I'm talking about our faith, I'm talking about Jesus, I'm talking about the resurrection power, we want people to get on top of that, right? We want people to follow that. We want them to follow that like they follow jeans with, gra with grass stains on them, right? We want to be the church that people are excited to see. When people see someone doing something, we are automatically triggered to follow. If there's a crowd, we want to go stand around and see what they're looking at. If there's a line, we want to wait in line and see what they're waiting for. That's just who we are. We are made to image other people. When your environment changes, you change. If you spend enough time in a new climate, a different part of the world, you get used to that. It just becomes who you are. When you're around other people and they do things different than you, you become 
like that person. I shared a story yesterday, and if you were at Flow, I apologize, you're going to hear a lot of different stories, uh, a lot of the same stories this morning. But I shared a story of a roommate I had uh, who, when he spoke and would ask a question, he asked it a little differently than, than anybody I know, okay? So if I was going to ask you, hey, do you want to go to dinner? You see how the inflection is at the end there? You want to go to dinner? Right, that's how you ask a question. He would always say, hey, do you want to go to dinner? He would go down. And it, I mean, it was, it was fine. But eventually, uh, me and my roommate and you know, my other roommate that was roommates with him, we just started talking like that. We would say, hey, do you want to go to dinner? Are you going to the movies? Right? Instead of just talking like we normally talk, because when you are around people, you start to be like them. You are a product of your environment, whether you like it or not. So my question is, who do you hang around? Who do you follow? Who, who is the crowd that you are in? I hope it's the church. Have you ever wondered why we call it the church, why Jesus called it the church? It means assembly. It's a crowd. He didn't want it to be, you know, before it was just they went to the synagogue. That was a place. That was a building. That was four walls that they met in. Jesus said, I don't want them to just be a building. I want them to be a people, a crowd, an assembly. And we can read in Joel that Jesus was going to assemble a people who would dwell with him. It's not that they would come into a building and that was church. It's that they were a people who, when they were together, there was church. I remember when, and my, my family is, is here with us this morning, so if you see some unfamiliar faces, that's who it is. I just want to thank you guys for being here. But I remember as a kid after church, we would go to this Mexican restaurant called Casa Grande. Big house. And uh, we would just see a lot of families from church there. And, you know, dads like to say funny things, right? Like, so, so some dad would walk in and say to my dad, hey, we're just having church here in the Casa Grande, right? That's just something they would say. And it was kind of funny. It's, you know, it's one of those things they make fun of dads for saying, but it's true. Because when one or more are gathered together, there Jesus is. And when we have lunch with each other after church, we're having church because we are the church. We cannot have church without the church. But when we're together, we are the church. We're having church. The church is where heaven is going to meet earth. Christ is preparing us to be the bride. And he is going to come and heaven is going to meet earth. We're going to be joined together. And there's going to be a glorious celebration. So when people look at the church, last week we talked about when you see the church, what do you see? When people look at the church, do they see a wagon that they want to get on? Do they see a wagon they want to join? Or do they see something they want to stay away from? When they see the church, Last week we talked about our values, we'll be there in just a second, but when they see the church, what do they see? How do we live out those values? Last week we talked about, uh, in, in, the, in the book of Acts chapter 2, that the church was devoted to apostles' teaching. That's, that was a value of theirs. They were devoted to one another. They cared for one another. They, they were devoted to each other. That was a value. They, they were devoted to the breaking of bread. They were devoted to prayer. And church, don't you know that when we have values, that's how we live. I'm in the middle of a, a program to become a counselor at Regent University. Excuse me. You were supposed to clap there. It's all right. But no, I'm just playing. But the, one of the first things they do is they teach you the values of a Christian culture. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, of a Christian counselor. Because if you don't first have the values, you can't live it out. If we went in and we had all different values... Maybe they weren't Christian. We couldn't graduate saying we are now Christian counselors. If we don't first have the values of a Christian counselor. We cannot say that we are a Christian church if we don't first have the values of a Christian church. A, a church of Christ, right? Christian is of Christ. We cannot be a Christ-following church if we don't have the values of Christ. So that's what the values are. The, being devoted to the apostles' teaching, to one another, to breaking of bread, to prayer. But this morning, we're going to look at the second half of that passage. How do we walk it out now that we know what our values are? Now that we know what we're devoted to, how do we live that devotion? That's what we'll talk about this morning. And walking it out means uh, action. We, we talked about this yesterday. It means discipline, discipleship. We cannot just leave here and act like we're the church if we're not walking out the church. It, it takes action to be the body of Christ. So let's turn now to Acts chapter 2. If you have your Bibles with you, if you have a phone, that works too. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 42 again. 
says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Can we pray real quick? Father, we come before you humbled to be your servants, humbled to be your church. And so as we sit here this morning, we receive the word that you have called for us this morning. Would you open our hearts and open our minds to, to understanding the walking it out of the Christian faith in the church? Father, would you make things clear to us this morning? Father, everything that I say, would you decode it so it makes sense? Father, could I just be a mouthpiece for you so that the word can come and we can grow and we can flourish and we can become more like you? It's in your son's name. Amen. One of the first things we see here as we look at walking it out is we see a radical generosity in the church, and especially uh, radical generosity within the church, right? So what does it look like to give radically? It says they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. When we think about giving, we generally think about a few different things. Yesterday we talked about giving of our time, our talents, and our treasures. And that's important, but even when we think deeper than that, who are we giving those things to, right? Well, first, we, we automatically think we're giving to the needy, right? When we give our time, we serve the needy. That's, that's important. We give our treasures, we give our talents to serve those who are outside of the church who are in need. It's good, it's generous, it makes uh, us Christians when we give our love. But what makes that radical? How can we make that radical generosity rather than just regular generosity? I was listening to a podcast the other day, and it was the story of a couple Islam students who were at a school, and the school uh, had an Islam uh, imam, who was the leader of the Islam church, came in and just talked about giving and generosity. And I thought, okay, this is interesting. I want to hear what, what, what the Islam faith has to say. And one of their values, if you know anything about Islam, is almsgiving. They're, they're very, uh, they, they, they value giving a lot. And so what they said is this imam would tell them just to reach into their pockets and just give whatever they had. Don't look at it. Don't, don't say, is that a 20? Is that a 10? Is that a 5? Just give. Because the generosity of giving shouldn't matter uh, what the amount is. You just want to give what you have. And so the Lord decided he was going to test me on that. Isn't that he's so nice, isn't he? So I was in the Home Depot parking lot. I'm there about four times a day during the week. Just can't do a home project without going four times. And I'm loading my, my car up with the things I've purchased, and this man comes up. He says, hey, man, I'm just trying to get dinner. Is there anything you have? And I said, sure. Pulled out my wallet. I'm like, there's not a five or a one in here anywhere. <laughs> I, I had some money that, that my grandmother-in-law had given me. Just She just likes to give away money. And there's, there's a 50, there's a 20, and there's a 10. I'm like, thanks, God. You know, i got to give away my $10 bill. So I, I, just, I gave it to him, and then I thought, man, I didn't just reach in there and give. I was worried about what I was giving. I was worried about, if, is that going to be too much? But, but our Lord calls us to give generously and radically. Another story, we, we, part of the school here, Grace River Academy, uh, one of my duties is to drive the kids back to daycare after school. And we always drive past this man standing on the corner. He's got a sign that says, anything helps. Maybe you've seen him. But the kids just love this guy. And so every time we drive past, they're like, can you give him some money? Can you give him some money? And so Pastor John and I, we take turns driving. We've given him some money. Uh, and then one time, Pastor John was like, how about you guys bring some money? Right? Let's, let's have a teaching moment here. You bring some money, and we'll give. Right? And so these kids got together $2.50. I, I later learned they, they begged their teacher at the daycare for some change. Uh, so, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about giving. Uh, but they got together $2.50, and we drove past this man on the way back to the daycare one afternoon. And they said, make sure you give them the money. Make sure you give them the money. And so we gave them the money. I said, hey, man, this is just from the kids at our school. They just wanted to bless you. And, man, the smile on his face. Just having the gift of generosity given to you. We've all experienced that before. It, it warms a heart. But the smile on the kid's face, 
was even better. I was sitting there in the front seat, and there was still a little bit of time before I could go, waiting on the traffic to pass. And they were just yelling out the window, we want you to buy a house. We want you to get a home. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, do I need to roll the window up or something? We'll talk about how to give later, right? But they just know that they're supposed to be generous with what they have. That's the faith of a child. What I have doesn't matter if you don't have it too. But as we grow up, we think, I've got to get it. I've got to have more. When we think about giving, we also think giving our tithe or our offering to the church. That's important as Christians. We talked about that yesterday. But what is a tithe? Well, it's a tenth of your earnings dedicated to the Lord. And I want to read from Deuteronomy 14. I think that's on the screen. You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. And stop right there. Year by year. They didn't get paid you know, biweekly like us, right? There was a, an agricultural culture. They got their earnings at the end of the harvest year. They would take it. They would sell it. So when you get paid, tithe a, a yield of your, of your seed before the Lord and before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose. To make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine and of your oil, hand of the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And if the way is too long for you, so that you are not able to carry the tithe when the Lord your God blesses you, because uh, the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to set his name there, then you shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses. So here's what he's saying. Take a tenth of what you've earned and take it to the place that God has chosen, the synagogue, the place where you worship, and give it. Why do we give it? And if it's too far to go, and you can't take your grain, you can't take whatever it was that you've harvested, turn it into money and give the church the money, right? Because, you know, if you live 50 miles away from the nearest synagogue, you only go there once a week to worship, taking your whole herd of cows is going to be a little difficult, right? You don't have cars and wagons. So turn it into money and then take the money. So we are commanded, and the Jews were commanded to give this tenth, but it wasn't just about giving the tenth so that there could be a, a provision for the church. That was part of it, sure. The church had to be taken care of. Uh, the priests had to be taken care of. There's, a, there's another verse in the passage that tells the Levites, of the tenth that you receive, give another tenth. So as pastors here at the church, everyone who was on staff, we also give. Even though the way that you give helps provide for us, it allows us to do what we do here, we also give that back because it's not about the money. It's not about keeping the lights on. We don't need lights. We don't need a building to have church. We need each other. So the giving of the money is about worship. It's about this is what the Lord has blessed me with. He has blessed me with this provision, with this yield from my farms. He's, he's blessed me with this paycheck. And so I'm going to take the first tenth of it because the Lord has given me so much, I'm going to give some back to him. Now we thank you when you give. Because you give, we're able to do the things that we do. And the way that you give is important. The amount that you give is important. But the fact that you do give is even more important. Giving with your heart is so much more important than giving uh, an amount. It's not meant to be a chore. It's meant to be an act of worship. We honor him with our giving to remind ourselves it's not about the money. It's about the blessing that we have received. In Luke 16, if we can put that up there. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you will have not been faithful in the, righteous, the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the true riches? In church, your financial issues are not a financial problem. They're a spiritual problem. If you cannot be faithful in what you have, God is not going to bless you with more. If he can't trust you with the little he's given you, he's not going to trust you with more. You can go to Financial Peace University. You can go see a tax man. You can ask someone for help. But if you don't first get your heart right with God, you're not going to receive a blessing. If we can get Malachi up there really quickly. It says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in the house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the window of heaven for you and pour down for a blessing, until there is no more need. If you feel like you can't give, put him to the test. He says, trust me with a little and I will give you more than you can ever understand. I know, church, that giving for the first time or giving when you have little, it can be scary. 
my wife and I have been there. We, we were not making much when, when COVID happened. And we said, I don't know how in the world we're going to be able to continue to give. But we gave. And we have been blessed beyond measure. Beyond measure. Because when we are trusting him with the little we have, he gives more and more. He gives blessing. Poured over, shaken together, overflowing. Give in faith, church. That's how we walk out this obedience, is to give. But what makes it radical? Okay? You understand? That's, that's the baseline. The tenth is, is the baseline. That's, that's your, your, your worship. That's, that's the standard, right? How do we give radically? Some of you are like, that's the standard? I know. That's the standard. What we read is that the church was selling what they had to meet the needs of the body. Think about that. Think about your car. Now, mine's not worth much, but it's worth something. Think about your clothes, the ones that are just filling up your closet. Think about the things you have. The church was selling those things. Not so they could get more, but because they saw a brother in need and thought, man, what do I have to help meet the need? You're not called to simply tithe. That's the old law. When Jesus came, he gave us a new commandment. While it's easy to think the new grace-filled commandment was a less severe version of the law, really it was a more severe version of the law, but with grace thrown in there. It said the law came so that sin would abound, but when sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. The new law said, yeah, it was a sin to, to, to commit adultery, but if you even think about it now, it's a sin. The old law said it's a sin not to give, but even if you give without a cheerful heart, that's a sin now. The old law was there for the standard. The new law comes, and it makes it even difficult. We're supposed to give by faith. We're supposed to live by faith. You see, it's not just about giving. That's how we learn is by giving. When we take that devotion, when we take that faith, and we apply it into our life, that is radical generosity. So how do we walk it out? It's, it's not communism. It's not socialism. So many claim. They read the church, and, or they, they read the book of Acts, and they think, man, the church was, they had everything in common. You know, the pastor was gathering it all together and then giving it out. It's not true. That's not how it happened. There, there's, there's plenty of scriptures that say stealing is against the law. That means there's personal property. That, that means there's things that you own. But guess what? God still wants you to give it. Not because you're forced to, but because you're called to. No one is coming to take your money or your possessions. We're not going to line up in the parking lot and say, all right, that car, 6000 That car, ooh, you need a new car, 200 right? We're not, we're not going to do that. God is calling you to give with a cheerful heart. Our example is Christ who gave of himself freely. He said, no man takes my life, I give it. No man takes your money. No man takes your possessions, you give it. That is the example that he has set. To meet the needs, we have to be aware of the needs. How are we going to meet the needs if we don't know what our church brother and sisters need? We have to be aware of the needs. That takes me to my next point. Constant interaction with one another. Constant interaction with one another. That's what the church did. Look at verse 46. It says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They were constantly together. Day by day. Can you imagine coming to church every day? I mean, I do it, but I have to. Imagine coming to church every day, meeting your brothers and sisters, every morning just praying with each other, grabbing a cup of coffee in the cafe. Man, wouldn't it be beautiful? To see each of you every day, I would, I would die for that. We miss you guys during the week. That's what the church did. They met together day by day, meeting each other's needs. But to, to meet the needs, you have to know the needs. We talked about this in flow. It's not enough just to attend it's not enough just to be here. You've got to be in each other's lives. Church does not happen in these walls on a Wednesday night or a Friday night or a Sunday morning. Church happens every day. That means calling your brothers and sisters. That means texting them. That means checking up during the week, having a cup of coffee or breakfast, saying, hey, man, what's going on in your life? Once a part of the body has been cut off, it's no longer there. You don't get to amputate a leg and then decide later you want it back. When it's gone, it's gone. We've got to take care of the members. We've got to take, take care of the body parts. Our gather, gatherings are spiritual 
in part because they're physical. We cannot gather unphysically and expect it to still be spiritual. Church, if you're watching online, I'm sorry I just said that, but it's true. We want you here. There, you are missing something when you are not physically gathered in the body of Christ. In Hebrew, the writers suggest that some churches have neglected the gathering of the church. What does that mean? We've heard this scripture throughout COVID a lot, and I think we've been using it wrong. Excuse me. You see, the, the COVID shutdowns took place, and we were forced to go online. We were forced to not gather. But I don't think that's what this scripture is saying. Back in World War II, did you know that when the blackouts were happening, churches all along the coast couldn't meet in the evenings for Sunday service? They were forced to not gather. And no one said, hey, churches, you're, you're sinning because you're not gathering. No, it's because it was for the better of our country. We should be helping our country as Christians. But the reason we didn't meet was because we were honoring God. God says, honor your brothers and sisters. And so we didn't meet because we wanted to keep everyone safe, right? So I don't think applying that scripture from Hebrews is appropriate because what it says is we were neglecting the gathering. The church was neglecting the gathering. That, that means forsaking. It's different. We weren't able to meet. The church that, that the writer of Hebrews is talking about says they were neglecting the gathering. That same word neglecting is used by Jesus as he's hanging on the cross. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I wonder if Christ is saying, my brother, my son, my daughter, why have you forsaken your church? Why, and I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're sitting right here, okay? But why have I forsaken my church? Why have I chose not to gather when gathering is a possibility? I can't tell you if you've forsaken the gathering of the church. First off, you're sitting right here, so you're doing something right. But when we choose that, that something's more important, or when we allow fear to take over our, our thought processes and we decide that, that church is not a possibility for us when really it is we've forsaken the church. Here's what gathering entails. We've got to be physical because we've got to build deep relationships. I don't know if you've ever tried it. I haven't. But I don't think a marriage would really work if you just texted each other every day. If you never saw each other physically, a marriage would not work. A family really wouldn't work, right? A family cannot exist if they're not together physically. Loving people over loving the crowd. We can go to a big church. You can go to a big church. This one's not. You can go to a big church, and you can think, man, it just feels good in here. There's energy in here. But if you can't love the people, what's the point? You can love the crowd, but if you can't love the people, what's the point? Participation over attendance. We talked about that yesterday. You can't just attend but not be a member. The difference is commitment. Uh, members give, attenders take. Members grow, attenders stagnate. You miss flow, you miss a lot. Can you really be a part of a relationship if all you do is show up? Imagine if you went home, your spouse, your kids, you just sh imagine you went home to your kids and you just showed up. No food, no diaper changing, no giving, no taking care of, you just showed up. That's not being a parent, that's just being a roommate. Imagine coming to the church and just showing up. You don't give, you don't serve. All you do is take. That's just being an attender. We want members when we're talking about the church. And if it's your first time here and you're looking for a church, I'm not talking to you. I'm, I'm talking to those who filled out their membership covenant yesterday, who said, I'm a part of the church. This is what you have to do because this is what the Bible calls us to do. And that brings me to my next point. This is really flowing together. It's funny how God does that, right? Gathering in both large and small groups. We've got to be in each other's lives. We've got to attend in each other's lives. But what does that also mean? That means we have to also be together as the church, as the church gathers. What I was just talking about was, was coffee on a, on a Monday morning or, or dinner on a Friday night or lunch after church. That's being in each other's lives. That's the first step. But we also have to gather in large and small groups. Look at 46 again, the second half. It says, uh, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. And now what I think that means is what it says. They broke bread together and they received it. But where do you get your spiritual food? 
I think there's another point here. We've got to receive the food, the spiritual food. We only get that in the church. We can talk about it at lunch. We can talk about it over coffee. We can encourage each other. But if we're not sitting under the authority of the word, the authority of the preaching, we're not getting our spiritual food. We've got to receive that food. If gathering requires devotion, why can't I just pick small or large? Can't I just go to a, a small group and not have to come do the church thing on Sunday morning? Or, or can't I just come, sit for an hour and a half, hour 45 of Pastor John's preaching, and, and then, I hope he's not watching. I'm sure he is. Why can't I just do one or the other? Right? If all it is is devotion, I can devote to one. That's not devotion, church. If you have a family, you can't just devote yourself to one child. If you've got two, if you've got one child, I guess that's all right. We've got to be devoted to both small and large. Well, what's the difference? Why do we do both? In large gatherings, we celebrate. Well, what are we celebrating? Well, we're celebrating God. We're celebrating Jesus. We're celebrating the resurrection, the death. Yes. But we're also celebrating what he's doing in our lives. We're celebrating transformation. And, and transformation does not take place here on a Sunday morning. Transformation takes place on a Wednesday night, on a Friday night when we're meeting with couples, when we're meeting with brothers and sisters and saying, this is what's happening in my life. What does the word say? That's where transformation takes place, and we celebrate that on Sunday morning. In a large group gathering, there's corporate worship. It's so important for us to worship together as the church. Uh, we were just talking with the worship team a few weeks ago, and they said, you know what? We actually hear the church singing now. We've been kind of small for a little bit, but we've been growing and growing and growing, and we can actually hear the church singing, and that just brings joy to God. When the church joins together and prays, there's power. It says, when my name is proclaimed, there's power. And when each of you proclaim his name in worship, there's so much power in that. And a small group is just as important because intimate worship is even more important, I think. Because corporate worship, we can come and we can all sing together, but intimate worship is, church, this is what I'm, I'm dealing with. Let's lift it up in devotion to God. That's where transformation takes place. There's corporate prayer and there's sharing of needs. If we don't know what the needs are during our small group, how are we going to corporately pray during the large group? When we don't know that a loved one has passed away, when someone has lost their job, um, when, when a child is sick, what do we pray about on Sunday morning? How do we gather together corporately and pray if we don't know what the needs are? And finally, uh, on Sunday mornings, we receive the inspiration. The word and the corporate prayer, that's the inspiration the ministry. And if you know what that word means, which I know you do, it's the breathing out, right? The, the breathing out of God, the inspiration. And when that is breathed out, we breathe it in, and then we go and we breathe it out on others. If we don't come and we don't get fed, we don't get prepared, we have nothing to give during the week. We can't get large if we don't first get small. If we're not a church committed to small group gatherings where life happens, there's no way we're going to become a large church and reach more people. And I'm not saying it's our goal to run a 1,000, but our goal is to reach hearts. Our goal is to make disciples, and we can't do that if we're not first gathering small. Gathering is the antidote to culture. You heard this yesterday. The church says that you should be a self-made man, that you should go it alone, that you don't need anybody's help, and if you do, you're weak. It says the American dream is to get all you can, have the best house, have the best car, have the white picket fence, but if you don't have someone to do it with, you're just sad. You're just lonely. When you're a part of a church, you're not by yourself. The Bible says no man is an island. No man can go it alone. Christianity is not an individualistic culture. It is the opposite. There is no way to be a Christian and to do it on your own. We have to be together. We're reading a book, uh, The Elders Are, and it says, a Christian without a church is a Christian in trouble. If you were going at it alone, you're in trouble. There's no accountability when you're going alone. Uh, here at Grace River Church, from the nursery to Pastor John, there's accountability. Pastor John is accountable to someone else. I'm accountable to Pastor John. Our elders are accountable to myself and Pastor John. You are accountable to your elders. The kids are accountable to the parents. If we don't have accountability, we're not going to grow. If we don't have accountability, all we're doing is going at it alone, and we have no idea what we're doing. 
I cannot pretend that I could do life without the leadership uh, of Pastor John, without the friendship of my elders who can hold me accountable for the things that I'm doing. I can't pretend that I can walk a straight line without someone being able to come alongside me and say, Nick, what in the world are you doing? If, if I don't have people in my life who can call me out on the crap that I'm doing, I know there's no way for me to grow. And I don't want to say that's the same for you, but it is. Because the Bible says there has to be accountability in your life. The Bible says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Our God is a community all in of his own. A community of three, a sure community. The Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. He said, let us make man in our image. He says, let's make man to be a community together. When he saw Adam in the garden, he said he's not fit to be alone, and he gave him a helpmate. Church, you're not fit to be alone. You need to have community. And when that community takes place, when we grow together, when accountability happens and we're continued to be lifted up, matured spiritually, discipled, there's a spirit of awe in our church, a spirit of gladness and praise to God. Ingrid came to me before service. She said, I hope they don't think that we're, we're talking about you know, everything we're trying to say. Because in flow, in grace groups, on Sunday morning, we've been saying the same thing over and over again. And, and even though we do plan, we have our vision for the church, we don't go into a staff meeting and say, here's what we want the church to know this week. Make sure you say these things in your, in your small group and in flow and grace groups. We just follow Christ. We follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, and then he makes it happen. He, we are the tool he has chosen to use. We are not the user of the tool. We are the tool. We have a function, and he uses us to complete that function. When those things happen, when everything works together, there's transformation, and it's not a coincidence. It doesn't just so happen that one day there's breakthrough, and suddenly you can see clearly. The anxiety is gone. The depression is gone. The, the bills are paid for. Your life is changed. The addiction is overcome. Those things don't just happen. That's called transformation. And it only happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. When a brother or sister's life is transformed, it's a wonder of God. We can't say, man, we worked really hard on that person. Now they're fixed. Uh, we are not, as pastors and leaders and elders, we are not the, the physician of the heart. We're simply the wheelchair. We're the ones that roll you to the Father and say, this person needs healing. It's nothing that we do. It's all that he does. It's a wonder of God when lives are transformed. When we see spiritual maturity taking place in the hearts of those who we've been walking alongside, we praise God. In church, last week as we were worshiping, and even this morning, I was just sitting in the back last week just looking at the backs of your heads. Y'all have beautiful heads. But I just felt this overwhelming sense of joy and gladness. I shared it with Amanda. She said, I felt the same thing. Ingrid told me this morning, she just sees people's lives being transformed. She feels the same thing. Anthony feels the same thing. Our leaders feel that life is happening. Transformation is happening. And we have been feeling a spirit of awe. We are all struck in by the power of God, by the transforming power that is taking place in people's lives. Uh, we're going to get there in a second, but it says that their number was added to day by day. And as we've looked at our attendance, we've seen our, our number has been added to because we know that things are happening in this church. And if you're not excited, come let me tell you all of the stories. I'll make you excited. We've got to be a part of the church to hear those stories. But there's a spirit of awe. When the body of Christ worships in unison, there's an overwhelming feeling of joy. They receive their food with glad, this is what it says, they receive their food with gladness and joyful hearts. You know, church can't be boring when we're excited about God. Anybody ever felt like church was a little boring? Can I tell you a story when I got in trouble once with Pastor John? He's not here, so it's okay. I was still the youth pastor, and, um, sorry, a little dry this morning. I was still the youth pastor, and we had decided we were going to start a, a youth service upstairs during the 10 a.m. worship service. So I was trying to build excitement with the teenagers. I said, oh, man, you don't have to sit in the boring service anymore. You can come upstairs where it's cool and fun. And I don't know who heard me, but someone tattled on me. 
Thanks a lot. No. That's called accountability, church. <laughs> and uh, I got pulled into Pastor John's office. He said, did, did, you, did you tell someone, you know, a teenager, that the church is boring? He said, how is that, that student ever going to want to sit in a service again after you told them church is boring? Ooh, didn't think about that one. <laughs> right? Here's, here's something we say uh, as leadership. Whatever we get people with, we have to keep them with. So we're not trying to get you with lights, with music. If you read through this, they don't say anything about worship, music worship. They say all of this is your worship. So we're not trying to get you with anything other than the Bible, with the spirit, with the word, with community, because that's how we keep people. When transformation takes place, you don't want to leave. There's no way to be bored when transformation is taking place in your life, church. A church that is excited about God, cannot be boring. So what do we do when healing doesn't take place? Because it can't be, be gloomy, right? A church excited about God can't be depressed, or it can't be boring. But, but what about gloom? What about gloom and doom, just sadness? Well, I think that happens sometimes. I think it's okay for a season to be sad, to mourn. There's crisis that happens in our life. We lose a job. We lose a loved one. We're having trouble in our marriage. We're having trouble in our finances. We're having mental health issues. And there, can be, there can be crisis. There can be sadness for a time. But if we're not a church that believes in the resurrection power, what are we doing? If we're not a church that believes that there is healing on the other side, what are we doing? Why would we even meet if we didn't think there was power somewhere that we could tap into? Well, I mean, what would be the point? If we are not believing in the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit, we're just here playing games. There's got to be joy in the Holy Spirit, hope in the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, there's no way to overcome sadness. There's no way to overcome mourning. There's no way to overcome anxiety. Studying to be a counselor, I can, I can give you all the tools you need, but there's a reason I'm a Christian counselor, because there's one that you really need. And it's the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit. And if we don't believe in that, what are we doing? Praise isn't always easy, but we can have joy. Uh, we had a pastor here one time, his name was Josh, Pastor Josh. He said, maybe you just need to praise your way out of it. Maybe you're just in sadness and you need to praise your way out of it. And I know if you're sitting in sadness this morning, you're thinking, that hasn't worked. Keep praising. Because there's a breakthrough that's about to happen. There, there is another side and it's called the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. We are a people redeemed, church. The world is looking to us, wondering how we can get through crisis and hardship. How can we still gather and praise when the next pandemic happens? Because there probably will be. We don't know. Whatever the next pandemic-sized event is, and the church is pressed, how are we going to show the world that we can still do what we do and be happy, that we can still praise? We've got to exhibit the power of the Holy Spirit. We've got to exhibit a joy in our redemption. If there's any feeling of boredom or gloom, I pray it's, rejoice, it's replaced with awe and joy this morning. Because there is breakthrough that's going to happen. And if we are not a church redeemed and living by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're not a church. Replace it with joy this morning. So if the church, if, if the world is looking in, they're saying, how do they do it? How do they continue to meet and just be joyful despite the things happening in the world? We've got to display an attractive faith. Look at verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all people. Having favor with all people because they were praising God. That's crazy, isn't it? So how do we serve as a model for life in this world? Well, Acts is all about how the church is supposed to act. That's kind of why they named it like that. It's, it's how the church is supposed to act. But it's not a coincidence that the book starts with how the church is supposed to act inside and then goes to how the church is supposed to act outside, right? Because if we don't get it right inside, how in the world are we going to get it right outside, right? If we don't live a spirit-filled life, we are not an example for the lost. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I give you a better way to do life. It's filled with truth, and it's filled with joy. He says, I give you a better way. The world says, go it alone. Christ says be in community. It's a better way. 
The world says, take all you can. Christ says, give it all back. The world says, figure it out for yourself. Christ says, follow the plan I have for you. The world says you can only rely on you. Can't trust in yourself. There's no one you can trust in. Christ says, rely on me. The world says, worry about yourself. Christ says, worry about your brother and sister. The world says, life stinks. Who cares? Christ says, find joy and peace that surpasses all understanding in me. He gives us a better way to life. We can read uh, some ancient writing about the church in this time. There was this man... Uh, his name was, the, was Emperor Julian. He was the emperor of Rome in 125 AD. And he wrote this about the church. It says, one, If one or other of them have bondmen and bondwomen or children, through love towards them they persuade them to become Christians. And when they have done so, they call them brethren without distinction. What's he saying there? But when they have those who are lower than them, this was still a class society, when they have those who are lower than them, They bring them together with love, and they call them equal. They do not worship strange gods. They go their way in all modesty and cheerfulness. Falsehood is not found among them. They love one another who treats him harshly. And he who gives, and he who has, gives to him who has not, without boasting. They give without saying, hey, man, see that car about my buddy? No, they just give without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. A stranger becomes a brother in the church of God. For they do not call them brethren after the flesh, it's not about relation, but brother after the spirit, and an ability gives him, gives heed to him and carefully sees him to his burial. I'm sorry, I skipped a line. They don't call them brother, brother after flesh, but brother after spirit in God. And whenever, whenever one of their poor passes away from the world, each one of them, according to his ability, gives heed to him and carefully sees his burial. They make sure that everyone is taken care of even after they're, they're gone. It's not just about this life. It's about the afterlife as well. And if they hear that one of their number is imprisoned or afflicted on account of the name of their Messiah, all of them anxiously minister to his necessity. And if it is possible to redeem him, they set him free. doesn't matter how much the bond is. doesn't matter what he's done. They set him free. And if there is among them any that is poor and needy, if they have no food to spare, they fast two or three days in order to supply the need for the food they lack. When, when, when your brother is hungry, they said, let's not eat so our brother can. That's what the church does. And the reason he was writing this is because he was angry at the church. He said, this is what they do? Man, I can't even get my government to do this. Because we're a church that relies on each other. We're a church that looks inward. He also said in a different letter, the church that he was trying to stop the spread of Christianity because of their charity to the poor. They took care of the poor better than the government could. And he didn't like that. They fed their own poor and the unsaved poor as well. They fed their poor and our poor. They made us look terrible because they could take care of their own and take care of ours. They attracted others with their love like kids are attracted to cake. That's what he wrote. Their love was so attractive that it was like little Jaden when he sees a piece of cake. I've seen Jaden see a piece of cake, man. His eyes light up. That's what we want the world to see when they see our love. The world may hate you for it, but they need you. The, the, the world may hate you for how generous you are, but when we start feeding their poor and our poor, man, we're doing something right. Because if we're going to be attractive, we've got to do something with it. If we're going to be generous, we've got to do something with it. If we're going to meet each other's needs and learn how to be a community that loves and takes care of each other, we've got to do something with it. We have to have daily evangelism. Daily evangelism. It says, Day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. We know that God added to their number. He is the one who adds, not us. Like I said, we're just a tool being used, but if we don't keep ourselves sharp, if the garden shears aren't sharp, the tool is useless. If we don't keep ourselves sharp, we're useless to God. If we don't have um, a heart for outsiders, 
we're not doing the work of the church. If we don't care about the outside, if we only care about us four and no more, we're not doing, about, we're not doing the work of the church. We've got to get it right here so we can get it right out there as well. So how do we walk out this life? How do we take everything that, that we know is in the Bible and walk it out? Well, there's four areas that, that we need to look at. First, it's biblical nourishment. Are you nourished by the Bible? Do you understand the gospel? Are you regularly sitting under the authority and teaching of the word? Are you making the scriptures truth your truth? Are you assimilating its truth into your life so it's your default truth? There's only one truth, church. It's, it's the truth you find in here. Are you in the Word daily? Are you teaching the Bible to others? Now, those are the benchmarks of, of a biblically nourished church member. Number two, loving fellowship. Do you have fellowship with the Lord? Do you just fellowship with the Lord? Do you have that relationship? Are you working to build relationships with others in your church? Uh, are you a, a back row ninja or are you a fellowship warrior? Do you just slip out when... Not, not, I'm sorry if you're sitting on the back row. That came across wrong. Do you slip out as soon as, as, soon as church is over? Or do you hang around? For, are you the person that I get annoyed with because I have to wait before I can lock the door? Because guess what? That's all right. If you're fellowshipping, I will be annoyed no longer. Do you love the idea of community more than the people in it? If that's true, you may not have loving fellowship. Trust me, church. I know it's hard to love some people. But guess what? It's hard to love your family sometimes too, isn't it? Mine's sitting on the back row. We've had our, our fair share of struggles loving each other, right? Not really. We love each other. But you know why we love each other? Because we're family. It's just what you do. You can't just love the idea of community. Oh, man, community's great. But if you're not in it, if you're not loving, then you're not there. Are you complaining about a lack of community without inserting yourself into it? There's availability here, church. So there's no more excuses for why you can't be in community because it's open. Insert yourself. Do you gather regularly, large and small? Are you a, I said that, a background ninja or a fellowship warrior? That's good, isn't it? Do you know the needs of your brothers and sisters? If you don't know the needs of your brothers and sisters, you may not be in fellowship. Number three, a vibrant worship. Are you praising God in community? How do you approach the Lord's table? Do you approach it with, 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 with reverence, humbled by the sacrifice, or is it just another thing we do the first Sunday of every month? How do you approach the Lord's table? Do you attend services re re repentfully and joyfully? You've got to come in knowing that there's a, a weightiness here. We have a responsibility. Uh, there cannot be sin in our life. There cannot be barriers in our life when we're living a life in Christ. We've got to come in repentfully, but also joyfully that we get to worship with our brothers and sisters. Are you experiencing the joy of the Christian life? There is joy abounding in the Christian life, church. And if you're not experiencing it, get plugged in. Finally, number four, we've had biblical nourishment, loving fellowship, vibrant worship, and number four, word and deed outreach. Word and deed outreach. What do I mean by that? Do you share the word in your domain. People call it the mountain, maybe. Whether you're in education, you're in media, you're in business, wherever you go and have influence, are you sharing the word there? Are you going out and bringing in? It's not just enough to be here and to go out. It's not just enough to be here. You've got to go out. But it's also not enough just to go out. We've got to bring back. We've got to go and tell and bring are you serving those in need? Are you giving your time, your talents to serve those who need it outside of the church? Are you practicing gospel-driven gospel -driven generosity? We don't give just to give. We give because the gospel says that Christ and God the Father loved us so much that he gave. And that's why we give. Ingrid, if you'll come. And the rest of the band will come in just a, just a second as we pray. I just wanted to, to read a song to you. Ingrid doesn't know it, but she reminded me of it this morning in prayer. And it, it just goes like this. It says, 
O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full at his wonderful face and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. His word shall not fail you to promise. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying his perfect salvation to tell. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, church. Look full at his wonderful face and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I don't know if you've ever had a, a bright light shine in your face at night. But when that happens, you can't see anything but that light. That light makes everything else grow strangely dim. So think about those things in your world right now that just seem really bright all over the place. Maybe it's work, relationships, mental health, physical health, whatever it is. What are those things that just seem so bright? Here's the answer. Look straight in the light of Jesus. That light that blinds but cleanses. And it makes the things of this world grow strangely dim. We're mourning this, this morning um, the loss of, of our sister Carla Perry. They were a part of our church for a time and, and Acts 2 for a time. They just started a, a lot of powerful ministries. And we found out this morning that Carla passed away last night. And, you know, for, 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 for a time, we're sad. We are. We're sad that she's gone from this earth and gone from the lives of those who loved her. But when we look at the light of Jesus, the light of his glory and grace, the things of this world grow strangely dim. Sure, there's family that will miss her. But she's in glory. The things of this world don't matter anymore because she is somewhere that is so much more powerful. And we mourn with the family, we grieve with them, we pray with them, because it is tough. But eventually, we look at that light. Things around us grow dim. Because that is who we focus upon. Just Jesus. Nothing else. Just Jesus. You see, all of this stuff can be really easy. I, I know we went over a lot of things that, that we have to do. It's all about doing something. Look at the light of Jesus. It happens. When you follow after him, it just happens. When you live a spirit-led life, it's happening. It's sanctification. It's, it's transformation. It's cleaning and washing and sanding and, and chiseling off this part so this can look better. It's just a life that we live, and, and we don't even have to try that hard anymore because we're just following that light the glory, the grace of Christ. And then the things of this life grow strangely dim. Man, I don't even see that anymore. All I see is that light. Look around, I can't see anything else because all I see is Christ. Would you stand with me this morning, church? I want to ask you if there's a decision that's been stirring in you this morning. And we had a powerful morning yesterday just talking about what it means to be a part of a church and, and living a life that's led by Christ and, and having a part to play. If we just talk about it, it's just talk. It's got to be action. And so I'm going to ask the praise team to come in just a second. And they're going to lead us in that song, All I Want Is Jesus, Nothing Else. I'm sorry for the things that I've I've made our relationship, Jesus. It's not about those things. It's about Jesus and the glory and the grace and nothing else. So church, if you have a decision this morning, I want to pray for you, but then we're going to have our prayer teams down front here, and they'll want to pray for you as well, just to, to make that decision. I know that, that walk from your seat to the front can seem difficult, 
but Christ wants action in your life. We want to pray with you. We want to love on you, and we want to help you walk out this faith that is in Christ. Would you pray with me as the worship team comes? Father, we love you. Man, we are not worthy to be called your sons and your daughters. Oh, we're not worthy, Father. But as we sit at your feet and we say, Father, we don't need anything else. We just want you. Father, we just want to be a part of your body. It's not even about Grace River. This is just where we choose to be a part of it, but we want to be a part of your body. Father, would you fill us this morning with your spirit? Fill us this morning with that glory and grace because we so desperately need it. Father, I pray you would call to each and every heart this morning. Call them and let them know that you love them, that you need them, that you want them. Father, as we strive to continue to walk out this faith as a church, as a body, as a gathering, as a crowd here, I pray that we would keep our values firm so that our actions can be powerful. Father, would you be our protector? Would you be our guide? Would you be the one that goes before us and behind us, beside us, all around us as we follow after you? We need your protection. We need your wisdom and we need your guidance. So we call on you this morning because there's nothing else we can call on. We've tried it all and we've come to the end of ourselves, so we're calling on you. Fill us, Father. Church, if you have a decision to make this morning, I'll be down here and Anthony will be down here. We would just love to pray with you this morning. We're going to sing this song. I'm caught up in your presence. I just want to sit at your feet. Let's sing it. Caught up in your presence. I just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this nothing else that will do for us. There's nothing else that will quench that thirst. Nothing else that will feed that hunger but you, Father. So as we leave this place, we're looking to you as our, as our leader and our guide. 
trusting in you, Father. Amen. Church, as you leave, look to the light of the glory and the grace. Amen. I want to thank you for being here. I know you think I'm just as bad as Pastor John because I looked at my watch and it's a half past. But I love you guys. Thank you for staying with me. We'll see you next week. Amen. We'll see you in grace groups. This podcast is a member of the Grace River Podcast Network. To listen to more of the podcasts in our network, head over to graceriverva.com slash media. We would love for you to join us in person or online on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. for our weekend worship experience. Our campus is located at 5045 Indian River Road in Virginia Beach, Virginia, or you can find us online at graceriverva.com. Grace River exists so that every generation can experience the transforming power of God in every area of their lives.